Just a warning that on this episode, the sound is not as consistent as we would like. We had some issues in the recording room and are working on it for next time. Welcome to Everything Life Coaching. I'm John Kim. And I'm Noelle Cordeaux. We are the founders of Lumia. And we're super passionate about all things coaching, and we want to share what we've learned from over a decade of coaching and training thousands of life coaches. Let's dive into the science and magic of coaching. Hello, and welcome to Everything Life Coaching. This is Noelle here, and today we have a really special guest with us, Jen Amenti. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well, Noelle. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We've been doing a series highlighting our Lumia instructors and students, and you are both of those things. And so I am I'm tickled to have you on, and I'm excited about our conversation today. We're going to tackle a topic that is really current and top of mind for a lot of folks, and that is unconscious bias and how it works in coach training, how it works for coaches and what folks need to think about with this particular um, aspect of our discipline. But before we dive in, can you give us a primer? Please tell us who you are and what you do as a coach. We want to know you as a human. Awesome. Well, I guess I would say that I'm a work in progress. <laughs> um, I am an educator at heart and have spent a good portion of my adult life teaching in K-12 and um, and uh, working with adults as well in educational spaces. Um, I also identify as an anti-racist, so I I'm always working to both disrupt racism internally as well as externally. Um, And, you know, I, and this I think shows up in my business, I'm very inspired by nature. I'm a creator. I like to collage and watercolor and make costumes and dance and hike and swim. And um, all of those things kind of feed into how I think I see my business. which is called The Unwound Mind. Um, And I am a coach and consultant in mostly educational spaces, um, working with leaders, uh, teacher leaders, school administrators, district leaders, instructional coaches, um, and as well as nonprofit leaders in educational spaces. Um, And in that work, we are, I'm really working to support them with um, changing practices, growing practices and behaviors, disrupting systems, creating new systems that are all in service of learning, growth and development and inclusion um, and are hopefully reaching all the way down to students. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I love this. And and I've loved following your coaching journey through all of these spaces. Um, I know you also happen to be a dog mom. Yes, I am. <laughs> and you have been living and flourishing in New Orleans, which I'm I'm so jealous of. I am excited to either dog sit for you or come visit. Yes, yes. This is a very special place. And I was welcomed, welcomed in with open arms about a year and a half ago. So I'm very lucky to be here. Awesome. And you've also been an instructor for Lumia um, and supported in the classroom experience of 
unconscious bias, which um, we're so grateful to have had you um, working with our students. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience approaching the topic of unconscious bias with adult learners? Absolutely. Um, the course that I that I was that I've taught for Lumia um, followed the unconscious bias course, so it was a place of kind of processing after um, having sat through that um, that course with Kari. And um, you know, we were luckily we're very supported by the ICF Code of Ethics, which also helps us kind of dig into this topic in a way that holds us accountable to the work. Um, and I think that, you know, through that course, a lot of what comes up is like, how do I even get there? If it's unconscious, how do I find it? Um, which is a very valid question. And I think part of it uh, that I've learned, at least through my own experience, just as an educator and now as a coach as well, and, and just a human in the world, is that... Um, our bodies and our minds are always giving us signals about things that are living within us and kind of lifting them up to say like, hey, this might need to be checked to see if it's in alignment with your beliefs. Um, and so unconscious bias, in order for it to become a you know conscious thing that we can look at and name and examine and determine, um, you know, how it is impacting our relationships and our work and all the things... Um, we have to really be tuned into the signals that our bodies are sending us. We have to be tuned into the thought patterns that arise. Um, I typically feel like whenever any sort of judgment or assumption arises for me, that that's usually a red flag that I, that I am getting into a space of unconscious bias. Um, and so for me, that's, you know, time to slow down, time to, maybe not say something out loud right now and actually examine what's coming up for me. Um, but those are two ways that I think that the body signals to, or the mind signals to us. Um, the body can do it in different ways as well. We might get, you know, we might say something and then immediately feel really uncomfortable about something that we said. Mm -hmm. um, like it might sit in the belly or, um, you know, make us have those butterflies of nausea. Um, and that can be a signal that like, Ooh, I just said something that didn't sit right with me. What's that about? Um, so it's really a practice of curiosity, I think, in a lot of ways. Thank you so much for for those definitions and, and cues that we can use to understand this space. When I've talked about unconscious bias with our students, um, I've used an example. I live uh, in Philadelphia by many college campuses, University of Pennsylvania, Drexel, temple and say I saw a man walking down the street and he's very disheveled, um, carrying a briefcase that has just papers overflowing from it. There's many halfway houses in the area. There's a bus stop by my house. So I've asked students to think about, you know, how this person might present. And then the reframe that I've kind of leaned into is, well, is there a chance that this human is a astrophysicist at the University of Pennsylvania who's coming home from a, a late class? Um, aside from 
observing humans and making judgments about them. What are other ways that unconscious bias can really impact and limit our ability to take in information and and find and see the world accurately? Um, yes, thank you for that. I mean, I think I see this a lot happening. I mean, I saw it in my own practice as a classroom teacher, and I, I see it a lot in schools where um, you know we make all of these decisions about. Um, you know, whether or not a student is motivated to learn or if they are, um, you know, maybe that they're a challenge or behaviorally. Um, and so there's like these ways in which things are happening and, um, we're making decisions about an environment, like how to set up an environment, um, or how to hold the space of an environment that comes from a place of our kind of like own experiences, um, our own, our own ways of being or the things that worked for us. And we're not actually thinking about what are the needs of the people around us or the people before us that we are responsible for in those moments. Um, so I think about that, um, as being kind of one, another way that, that unconscious bias can show up. Um, I think it can show up in like our decisions that we're making all the time, right? Like we, our brains are making, I don't know the number, but you probably do. It's a lot of decisions um, every like, you know, every minute, every second. And um, a lot of those are happening kind of behind the scenes, right? We're, we're just doing. Um, and uh, trying to think like, what are some other ways that, unconscious bias might show up. Um, yeah. I love the classroom example. And I, I can speak a little bit about the brain. Yeah, thank and, you. And, 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 what I, and what I think happens because we take in, oh, so many bits of information and, and so much data at, at one time, but our, our brains can't process all of it. And Typically, what happens with our brains is that our brains are lazy and our brains utilize something called the availability heuristic. And the availability heuristic is basically a shortcut where our brain will, instead of looking at the full data set in front of us, it will revert back to a singular piece of information that we have um, been privy to previously. So if I have a really strong memory of having a horrible taste in my mouth after eating broccoli as a kid, if I see broccoli, I might directly just go be like, oh, that's, that's gross. It tastes bad. It can't possibly be delicious and <laughs> stick with, you know, that perspective of a given thing. When as an adult, I have, I have a lot, I have a lot more data sets available to me. So for example, you know, has this been sauteed in garlic and butter? Um, is it coming from a five-star restaurant? You know, has it been nice and charred and crispy fried? Um, that would give me an opportunity to reevaluate broccoli on different terms. Um, so that's, that's kind of how it, it works from a memory-based perspective. And humans are taught to go on autopilot. And another really powerful thing that happens with humans is that, you know, we're born 
And we're born into whatever family of origin we happen to be born into, whatever community we happen to be born into, whatever school system we happen to grow up in, and and our regional geographic and familial uh, situation is what teaches us about the world. So from a very real perspective, the different groups that we're a part of inform the way that we think and see and assess the world more so than uh, from the perspective of our own agency as adults being curious about what we might see differently if we actually thought for ourselves. So when we kicked off, you said something really interesting. Um, and I want, I'll, give, I'll give a primer on my question with the one two public. You said, um, I identify as an anti-racist. And for me, that was so powerful because um, with identity, uh, I typically, I, I haven't really thought of um, anti- anti-racism from a perspective of an identity that I could embody. Um, and I've, as I've been really working and thinking about and, and playing with um ideas in the anti-racism space, really specifically in support of DEI teams. One of the things that's become really apparent to me is that uh, both cultural competency and getting familiar with bias and unconscious bias is, is actually a precursor to being able to truly engage in anti-racist work or diversity, equity, and inclusion. I, I'd love your perspective on that. And then the second part of my question is, um, from a really human perspective, what was your tipping point? Um, I know a little bit about your story that working in schools and, and seeing inequality sparked a lot of this for you, but what happened for you to set you off on this path? Um, thank you for that. Um, I would say that, um, you know, if we were to kind of think back to my to my tipping point, it definitely was in the classroom. Um, I also identify as a, a white woman, and um, you know, there's all kinds of things that come along with that identity in educational spaces. Um, but I was responsible for teaching mostly students of color at the time, and uh, it started off by just like realizing how little I knew about just the history of people of color in our country. Um, that was really the like base, like very beginning for me. Um, and so for a long time, it was about learning, um, learning about others' experiences, learning history. Um, and then it started to shift into actually taking a look at myself and understanding that I too had a racial identity as a white, as a white person. And, um, as I kind of got into that exploration, I mean, there's all kinds of layers of discomfort and growth and learning. And I, I feel like I'm going to be in this learning for my whole life. Um, but as I, you know, kind of shifted the focus from being external to being more internal and looking at myself and looking at the ways in which I was actually complicit in the things that I wanted to be disrupting or pushing back against and, and kind of grappling with that. Um, I think that that's really where my work towards being becoming an anti anti racist or striving to be an anti racist, however you want to say that, um, really took hold um, because 
um, anti-racism is really about actually opposing racism, right? And, and acknowledging that it exists in all kinds of spaces um, and, and internally. Um, and so, yeah, that work has been a lot about um, looking at myself and looking at my own, you know, and this ties back to the unconscious bias, like looking at the beliefs and looking at the thoughts that pop up and um, looking at the things that I might say on a snap, you know, snap in a snap moment in a reactive way. Um, look at my behaviors in, in that are reactive. Um, and a lot of my, actually a lot of my learning from this has come from uh, Resma Menachem and his work is really situated in somatics and in the body and tuning into ourselves and our own stories and um, using those as um, our, our place of healing to move forward in this work. Um, awesome. And yeah. so first of all, I just want to say thank you because you just described the journey that we ask our coaches to go on. And the why behind this is, is when you're a coach, you work with humans, other humans. And from a bias-based perspective, from an intersectionality perspective, you know, racism is probably the big one that we're, we're grappling with in our time, especially in the U.S., and also um, intersectionality splays out across the board, everything from ableism to immigrant bias to um, height bias <laughs> to, um, you know, if someone has a tone of voice that's pleasing or not pleasing. And so we ask coaches to confront themselves in the process of coach training to start asking these questions. If you're thinking about, you know, how long you've been on this journey and how uncomfortable um, it can be for folks when they're especially first digging in, what do you think the most important things for people to remember are when they're just starting to say, oh boy, this is, this is some stuff? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's really being, giving yourself a lot of grace and patience. Um, and I mean, what you really want to be able to do is to get comfortable sitting in discomfort because the discomfort in my experience does not ever go away. Um, I just become better at navigating it and, um, being able to stay in my body and respond and, um, versus react when, when I am activated. Um, you know, I think that it can feel scary. It can feel, um, it, it, it disrupts so much of, you know, what we've, what we've thought for so long about ourselves. Um, and I think that's a big one, right? Like it, we want to see ourselves as good people. And then we start to notice these things that, you know, potentially we've done to cause harm and, um, or that have caused harm, even if it wasn't our intention, it was the impact of it. And, and we have to sit with it. We have to navigate it. And it's so important that we don't get stuck in that space, that we can move through that to the space of like connecting and changing behaviors, changing beliefs, um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like I could say so much and I'm, I'm not sure where to go really, but um, it is, I think the most important work that we can be doing as coaches. I also think, you know, from a perspective of a white person, um, it is the absolute most important work that I can be doing um, in order to show up in community and um, in connection with others. And um, for other white people um, engaging in this work, you know, I really, I, I think the biggest thing I can say is find other white people who can have these conversations with you and who can do this work with you so that when you are engaging with folks of color, you are engaging from a place of your own work um, and, um, and that you're not asking them to do the work for you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and, you know, what I really loved about the way that you presented this perspective is that it's so hopeful, is that there is a path to move from awareness and discomfort stemming from that awareness towards behavioral change towards belief system change. And as coaches, one of the fundamental things that we know is that as human beings, we are inherently capable of change. And so, you know, taking our own medicine um, at the individual, interpersonal, internal level and saying, all right, what is my change process is what's required of us through the code of ethics to um, be able to participate in, in true human services. Um, there's a piece of this that I'm really curious about that I think you can shed light on. And, and that's the somatic piece. Um, I am someone who lives in my head. My, (laughs) my brain is, is what I use day in and day out. And, um, I know that I approach things often from a very intellectual perspective, but I know, um, that our, our bodies hold so much knowledge as well, and that our hearts give us just as many messages, if not more than our brains. And if in, in this space, especially um, acknowledging that we have a body, <laughs> that, we, that we live in our body, that our body is experiencing this seems really important. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I want to add, tack something back on as well to that, the previous thing I was speaking about. And I just want to also say that like, this work is not linear, right? Like it is, we learn something, we practice, we put it into action and then something else happens where we deepen our, you know, we hit another challenge, we hit another knot and we have to, you know, focus in on it. And then we kind of start that cycle all over again. So I really like to just remind folks that um, we're not going to get a pla- get to a place of feeling done, right? Like it's, we never kind of arrive at that like finished place that every lesson that we learn inherently leads us to the next lesson. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to add that, but um, yeah, the somatic piece is, is, has been so huge for me. Um, it really, uh, I, I guess it was the beginning of the pandemic. Um early on, at least it was like September, 2020, I started taking a, a somatics awareness class with a, a group called trauma literacy. Um, thank you, Carly and Anouk, you both were amazing. And, um, they were really helping, uh, it, I had just finished reading Resma's book, my grandmother's hands. And so I was really starting to think about how 
trauma lives in the body and, um, you know, how to really tune into, uh, all the wisdom that's there, right? Like, and, and this is another kind of, I guess, wing of white supremacy is that we've been kind of, we've been taught not to listen to our bodies. These are indigenous practices. They come from very old ways of being. Um, and um, we've been taught not to listen, that our bodies are not a source of wisdom and we've been cut off from them in that way. Um, and so for me, a lot of this has been, you know, like really coming home to myself and my body and really paying attention to, you know, what is that lump in my throat telling me? Like, why does my face feel really flushed right now? And um, I think the biggest learning has been that like all those little signs eventually lead to my survival pattern or my stress response, however you want to, my activation, however you want to call it of, um, you know, I have a tendency if we are thinking about fight, flight, freeze, um, I will freeze and then I will completely disassociate. And so a huge part of this healing for me and this learning for me has been about, um, learning how to come back <laughs> when I've gone off somewhere else because I've been, my body's either perceived a threat or I've experienced a threat. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, still learning this of course, but there's been a few times where I've been in a, a patterned experience. Um, and I've, I've noticed in the moment, like, oh, I can feel my activation right now. Like my heart is starting to beat fast. I can feel that lump and I can ask myself now, what do I need? You know, and it might be something as simple as leaning back in a chair and letting the chair support me if I'm forward, um, or it might be sitting down if I'm standing up, um, taking some deep breaths, and then giving myself the space to ask, what do I want to do differently right now? Mm. Um, and from that, being able to try something new because I'm not reacting from my patterns, I'm actually thinking about what, what, could, what could I try right now that might lead me to a different result. Um, and I've also noticed that after these experiences that I have, I need to fully move and shake my body, just like our doggies do. Yes. <laughs> and so whether that's like turning on my favorite song to dance to, or it is literally just shaking out my body from my wrists, my ankles, to, you know, my hips, like all the things to release that energy. Um, yes. Something that that I do um, that has really been working for me recently is, um, you know, not minimizing any kind of pain that comes from discomfort by just, you know, acknowledging it and honestly thanking it for its message. And I take um, a meditative walk where I really tune into my senses and I force myself to smell. So good to, to, to name colors and to feel the heat of the summer outside or the breeze on my skin. What does it feel like my feet to be hitting the pavement in my hot pink Crocs as I roll around Philadelphia <laughs> um, and, and that rubbery feeling um, and that bodily activation and that focus gives my limbic system and my reptilian brain that's like, ah, a chance <laughs> to go offline and for my body to take over. 
Uh, and that I've, I did, I did that last night. I, I took one of those walks last night. It was beautiful. out. <laughs> it brings you present, right? Like it's just it presencing. It's getting in the moment. Um, it does. love that so much. I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it, it tomorrow morning ooh. when I walk the dog. <laughs> yeah. You know, and if, if you want to add a little extra spice to it, um, and, and get some good positivity resonance going, um, you can tack on a little bit of loving kindness and every living thing that you see, whether it's a squirrel or a dog or a human or a plant, um, wish it well and wish it, um, the capacity to live till its fullest extent. And it's a game changer. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> I, I was rolling around New York once and I was doing that and I totally, um, forgot that I was supposed to be in my head. And I was just saying to people <laughs> on the sidewalk, I love you. I love you. <laughs> but Hey, you know, and, I, and it was not the worst thing that can happen. <laughs> you're up with yourself, Noelle. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> and uh, you know, it's, it's conversations like this that make me feel so humbled to be a part of our Lumia community because you know these are the conversations that we get to have in our classrooms without shame to really level with each other on a human level and say, hey, we're all here because we want to learn how to do this. We're all here because we want to deepen our skills and increase our capacity to engage with humanity in a non-judgmental way. Um, what was it like for you to be in our Lumia classrooms as a, a student and an instructor? Um, wow. Well, I'm currently a student because I'm in the signature program. So Yay! I get to be a student again. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really nice to be back in the learning space. I feel like I'm making all these shifts and changes to my, my coaching practice, um, for the first time in a long time that just feel really resonant and really good. So, um, I love that about Lumia. I feel like Lumia always gives me these kind of like actionable things that I am just like, Ooh, yes, that, and I'm doing it and I can just like put it right in. Um, so that is always really fun. And then as a teacher, I mean, I guess what I really loved, you know, the course that I was teaching was looking at the code of ethics and then talking about um, goal setting and how we set goals for ourselves and how we help others set goals. And um, it was just really nice to connect with students who are really open to the learning. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, they've chosen to be there, right? This is something that they're seeking out for themselves. So there's, there's an investment and, um, the questions are always really rich and, um, it's just really fun to, to be in that kind of back and forth and, um, hear all the diversity of thoughts and experiences that people are bringing from all different professions and walks of life. And, um, yeah, and just like bringing all of that into the space. Mm -hmm. uh, and I felt that as a student as well. That's awesome. It's I, the diversity in our community is extraordinary, uh, just extraordinary. And one of the things that I love is that there, there is so much to learn from every single person in our community that I learn so much, you know, 
I think you and I are, are a great example. Every, every instructor um, is a great example that as soon as I, I bump into you, I'm like, oh my, holy shit, like there's another mind here that I need to like get to know because this is great. Like, ah, it's, um, it is a wellspring of collective knowledge. It's good stuff. So I know folks who are listening um, often approach coaching with trepidation and, and kind of saying like, oh, you know, you, you both are talking about where you are on this journey uh, from a pretty high level practitioner perspective. What advice would you give to aspiring coaches, people who are circling, wondering if this is the right thing to dive into? Yeah, um, I would say keep deep diving on yourself and um, getting to know yourself really, really deeply in all the different facets that you can. Um, I would say practice, practice, practice. Have these conversations with other coaches as much as possible. Um, practice your coaching skills. Um, I think I would also say, and somebody shared this with me, um, when I was starting my business um, as a coach, they said, you know, getting a business off the ground takes three to five years. Yeah. So hang in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I, I tell you, when I hit the three-year mark, I was like, they were right. They were so awesome. Right. <laughs> the first three three years for me were, you know, I was, I constantly was like, if I made the right choice, am I doing the right thing? You know, I was having to work a lot of other jobs and things to, to kind of keep this going. And um, yeah, I mean, it, I just, it takes time. Uh, to, to grow something and it doesn't happen overnight. So hang in there. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Um, you're absolutely right. And, and I, I think that's, um, I think that's a really realistic way to look at it. I always tell folks, you know, you're going to need a, a solid year of learning how to coach and then you'll need another solid year of getting started. And then after that, there's, there's the, the crescendo build. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent. Absolutely. All right. So given that you are at the three-year mark with your beautiful business, where can folks find you? Um, you can find me at the unwoundmind.com. Um, you can also, well, I have a very poor social media presence. I'm working on that. That's a work in progress. So um, you could you could find me the same way, but uh, it's it hasn't been updated in a very long time. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. The and there is a link there as well for um, a thirty. I think it's like a free thirty minute intro conversation. There's nothing attached. You know, you can if you're a Lumia coach. I extended this when I was teaching. You are more than welcome to take up that time and pick my brain or just, you know, connect in some way about coaching. I'm, I'm happy to do that. So feel free to use that link for that. There's no, no further commitment needed. Um, but yeah, please check out my website also, um, you know, a work in progress and I'm, I'm working on updating it as well because my offerings are changing all the time, but, um, yeah, I would love to connect with folks. You can also reach me at Jen at the if you want to email me directly. Excellent. Excellent. That's super generous of you. Thank you, Jen. It has been such a pleasure hanging out today. Um, Thank you for your time. Thank you for bringing your perspective and we will do this again soon. 
Thank you so much, Noelle. It's been such a pleasure to be here with you. You bet. Thanks for listening to Everything Life Coaching. If you're feeling the draw to become a coach, head to lumiacoaching.com slash everything. Explore a new career that brings fulfillment, gives you a true sense of purpose, and a bold community to do it with. Lumia is ready to equip you with the tools, training, and community you will need to reach your goals. If you're ready to build a unique coaching business on your own terms while making an impact on the world at large, Lumia is the next bold step in your coaching journey. That's lumiacoaching.com slash everything. And hey, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it.